I'm Nicole Kasperson, fintech journalist, and this is What the Fintech. As a journalist who has covered the finance sector over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to interview and engage with some of the best minds in the space. The media landscape is changing, and financial services is grabbing the attention of a more diversified audience than ever before. As a member of that growing demographic, I will provide direct access to the inner workings of a complex industry while bringing an unconventional perspective to news coverage. Leaving big bank earning reports to the boring traditional media firms, I'll focus on the tech-savvy apps, digital investing platforms, challenger banks, and payment giants to drive relevant content that looks forward to disruption instead of fearing it. We are taking a brief break to share a message from our friends over at Yield Street. Bring your portfolio to the future with alternative investments. Yield Street's investment products are designed to generate income and build long-term wealth. Explore investments in art, real estate, venture capital, and more with minimum starting at $500. You deserve access to alternative investments traditionally reserved for only the ultra-wealthy. Now, back to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of What the Fintech, a podcast for fintech professionals who want to shape the future of our industry with innovation and inclusion. I'm your host, Nicole Kasperson, and today I'm sitting down with Amy Katamatsu, CEO of ComplySci. ComplySci is a reg tech that helps identify conflicts of interest arising from employee activities, including personal trading, gifts, and entertainment. Also things like political contributions outside business affiliations and other code of ethics violations. So they're doing a lot and it's very cool. Amy took over the role as CEO in October 2020. I'm so excited to dive into Amy's personal background while she makes talking about compliance actually fun. Amy, welcome to What the Fintech. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Yes, so happy to have you here. We've had a couple of conversations um, before, so I'm so excited to finally have one on the record that folks get to listen to and get to know you. (laughs) First and foremost, where are you working from? You're working from home. You have these awesome plants in your background. Yeah, how are you doing today? I do. So thank you for asking. So yes, I'm working from home. I never knew that I could grow and keep plants until the pandemic happened. And apparently they really love all of the hot air that I'm spewing in this little corner because they seem to be thriving, (laughs) even though sometimes I forget to water them. I think I've also chosen some plants that withstand abuse. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I kind of also became a little bit of a plant like connoisseur myself um, because of the pandemic. Right. Yeah. I mean, also my partner has been for like a while, but my plants here are looking all right. My fiddle's kind of finally coming back to life, but I've got like a ZZ over here that's going crazy that you can't really see. Yeah, no, the plants make people happy. So they're just so fun. And I love, like, they love the heat you're spewing. I love it. They love love your energy. They grow because of your energy. Well, I'd have to admit that there have been a few, like my, I don't know, what do they call it? A little fiddle, something like that, that (laughs) fell by the wayside. And I might have had in the, you know, under the dark of night, had to pitch it without anybody knowing, but, you know, (laughs) these things happen. (laughs) They they do happen. I mean, the beauty of like New York is you could leave something out on your uh, front door or out on the street and like maybe someone picks up your 
dead plant and tries to revive it. I don't know. <laughs> Things like that can happen. Like it's amazing. Um, but I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I also like, I know we're going to get into questions, but I also see that you're like at a standing desk and I love that energy as well. I feel like we're two peas in a pod right now. I'm also <laughs> at my standing desk. Well, I have to tell you, so, you know, I think as most people, I had had kind of a small desk at home that I had used, but I was really an office person. To be honest with you, I spent most of my time in the office and I didn't do that much work at a desk at home. I mean, I had the whole setup and everything else, but really as the pandemic continued and you realized, oh crap, I need to actually do real work here. um, We invested in not only a desk, but also a standing desk. And it's really just changed my life, to be honest with you. And with all of the choices on Amazon, it was a good investment, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you heard it. You heard it from Amy herself. I totally concur. But yes, to get into a little bit of your background, because I do believe that that is so critical to your success as a leader. Talk to us about your Japanese background and how that influences the lens for how you lead a fintech firm today. To give a little bit of context would probably be helpful. So I'm a fourth generation Japanese American. You know, my mom was born at an internment camp during World War II. My dad came out of Japan and and came here um, when he was a young man. And as I think about my upbringing and growing up in Los Angeles, in some ways, I maybe I shouldn't have been here. Maybe I shouldn't be here where I am today, leading a company, being the CEO of a company. Because to be honest with you, I didn't have role models at the time that were like who I am today. My mom was a hairstylist. My dad was an architectural draftsman. And what happened was over the course of my background and thinking about the investments that my parents made in my education and making sure that I had other extracurricular activities, I don't think that they realized at the time But all of it really shaped how I ended up at the end of the day. My mom, when I was three and a half years old, enrolled me in Japanese classical dance. I think the choice at the time was, do I want to send her to gymnastics or do I want to send her to Japanese classical dance? And truly her choice was, well, I'd really like to have her have some kind of a Japanese background, a a grounding of some sort. And so she sent me to these classes and I can't recall any part of my childhood where that wasn't part of what I was doing. And this idea of then the learning that it's not instant gratification, nothing that you do in life is instant gratification. It's this idea that you invest and you grow and you're pursuing these other activities. And I ended up going to Japan to, you know, get a professional name in Japanese classical dance and all of these other pieces. And It was this idea that, you know, that is the outcome. And so pursuing these goals and and thinking about that over the long term is part of, I I guess, if I look back now, (laughs) having the benefit of 2020 hindsight, you know, all of those pieces kind of added up. And I would also say that this isn't necessarily related to kind of being Japanese or the Japanese American kind of background, but it is the case that I fully believe that there are people who can change the trajectory of your life as you go along and kind of being open and accessible to thinking about those and and taking advantage of how that opens the aperture is really important. And so I just recall somebody who came to my high school who said, you know, Amy, you should apply to this college. 
And, you know, I was in Los Angeles. Really, I should have gone to a, a California UC school or um, something, a Cal State school or something else. And that's where everybody else was applying to. But they had suggested something outside of that. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And on that fluke, then I, you know, kind of, I think that was one of the pieces that then changed the trajectory of my life. And then I was able to come to the East Coast and have an entirely different experience. And when I think about then, how does that influence how I lead today? It is this idea, this fundamental idea of sometimes it's hard to be what you can't see. And part of what we have to do, right? You, me, all of us who are in this like incredibly blessed position to have access, means, resources, are to then say to some of these people who are out there today, you can do these things. Have you thought about this opportunity? Just open the door, open the aperture a little bit so that then people can step into the spotlight and to be able to kind of like realize the potential that they have within them. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, and such a beautiful story, and um, I appreciate just how honest and uh, reflective you've been, right, with that question. Because I did a lot of that myself throughout 2020 in the last you know, 18 or so months, and thinking about what about my childhood or what about my upbringing has made me the way I am, right? Because for a while you kind of think like, hmm, why am I like angry or why do I feel like I'm, you know, needing to really voice my opinion or voice these things um, and create this like pathway for others to follow, right? And, and why do I feel this responsibility of the platform that I have? And, you know, you're exactly right. It's reflecting on those times and saying like, oh, I was kind of blessed to have these certain values or to move around a lot. You know, I you know, often talk about that I, I'm from California, but then I moved to Texas in my teens where like my whole world really changed, especially when it came to the people I was around. But it made me who I am today. I'm so grateful for that experience or else I don't think I would be here. I don't know if I'd have this platform or have the voice that I do because exactly you can't be what you can't see or you can't acknowledge what you don't go out and try to learn about. I mean, as a teen, it was hard, but when I got older instead of like being like, just I'm angry, right? You like go and try to figure out why that is or what it is. And then how can you turn that anger into like good and make something good for the world? And then just tell more stories, like tell more of those stories, tell more of the female stories, tell more of the stories of people with different experiences like ourselves and give those platforms out there because, you know, we're paving pathways. And so that's amazing. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I do want to get into some of those core values of ComplySci um, that really aligned with you and made you excited to take the helm as CEO when you did. It was interesting when I came on board, you know, about three and a half years ago now, we had not espoused what our core values were. And we were kind of at a point where you kind of felt like, oh, we know what our core values are. But when you don't put it on paper and you don't talk about it as an organization, then kind of people form their own views. And so we landed on these three core values, which I had a big hand in, in shaping. So definitely near and dear to my heart. But the first was, how can I help? The second is team before ego. And the third is hungry for more. <laughs> and the first one with how can I help? It was this idea where um, when I first came on board, there was this idea that we had kind of a couple of different products. And we had teams that were servicing those different products, but they really weren't collaborating together. And so if one team was crushed and the other team 
was not, the team that was not would go home at the end of the day and be like, see ya. And you <laughs> kind of left your teammates um, yeah. at the office. And I kind of felt like, you know, that's, that's not really the organization, the team that I want to come to every single day. I want one where we're asking each other, how can I help you? Let's, I see that gap. Let's fill in that gap. At the same time, we're thinking about our clients. How can I help you, the client? How can I put myself in your shoes and to think about how I can make your life more efficient, more automated? How can I help you see insights that maybe you're not seeing within the system or within the ecosystem at large? And how can I provide that value to you? And really putting yourself in the position in the shoes of that other person is, you know, really transformative. And then the second piece, which was this team before ego, was this idea that what we know for sure is that even if you have a ton of smart people in the room, if we come together in order to singularly focus on outcomes, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. And this idea that we have to kind of check ego at the door in order to do that, right? So sometimes you have discussions and you're not quite 100% on which way we should go. But at the end of the day, if we make a decision, then you have to commit and we have to go at it. And I know that that's when we can run through walls and get everything done. The last thing, which was hungry for more, is a little bit of a funny So to be honest, <laughs> and, you know, this is a little bit inside baseball here, but what we knew for sure was that if we put a challenge out to the team and we said, hey, at the end of this, if we accomplish it, we'll have a guacamole party when we used to be able to have guacamole parties inside of the office, we could do anything. The team would do anything. And I often get these questions, you know, because we have investors and they're like, a guacamole? Like, why would you do that? <laughs> what? I don't even understand. Like, don't you do that every Friday anyways? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, that is not the point, people. It's not the point. It's the idea that we can get there together. And um, they were flabbergasted and it's been a lot of fun and we've found other ways to celebrate in the meantime. But in addition to that, it is this underlying fundamental idea that we need to be hungry for more. We need to be thinking about what's next, what else, how else can we top that customer service experience or how else do we move the needle forward? How do we innovate? You know, and this like relentless desire to move forward is kind of part of the ethos. And, you know, I'd have to admit that when we put this out there, there were some people who kind of came forward and say, I'm so glad you stated what the values are. And now I understand where you're going with this. And I'm really sorry, but I've got to tap out. It's not for me. And on the one hand, it's kind of like, ugh, that doesn't feel good. But on the other hand, I was like, I'm so glad you said that. You know, it's a little bit of like the Zappos concept, which is kind of like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm glad, you know, we said these things, you're tapping out. We're going to find other people who then have bought into those values. And it's a core part of how we recruit people. We talk to people about it a lot of time. People within the organization here at town halls, ad nauseum. But it's one of these things where I think when we think about how is it that we want to operate as a group, it's been really incredible to just see that as as part of the fabric of the organization. Yeah, absolutely. And way to go. Um, I had someone once say to me to stick to your non-negotiables. 
you know, and, and upholding the fabric of your values at the core of your company is a non-negotiable. And I love that you think about culture first and, you know, keeping that together. It's, you know, imperative for any business, right, to understand the needs and try to engage. And that directly connects to compliance, right, and the culture of compliance. So um, will you share maybe a brief overview of ComplySci and, you know, how it addresses the culture of compliance? Sure. And as you probably have seen comply size breadth and depth is growing every single day. Um, and so I'll talk about comply size and how it started in this concept that we would help compliance officers within financial services think about employee risk and staying ahead of employee risk, whether it was monitoring trading, whether it was monitoring gifts and entertainment or political contributions, you know, that check that you write to maybe not just a senator candidate, but also to a school board or whatever have you, all of these different pieces are part of what ultimately you're you're worried about from a compliance perspective in terms of thinking about the conflicts that your employees might get themselves into, board assignments, things like that as well. And so all of those things are what ComplySci has helped financial services, primarily in the past, private equity firms, hedge funds, things like that. That's the ComplySci product. Recently, we've also acquired RNA Box, which is really kind of the preeminent product within the wealth management space. And, you know, they have an end to end solution for not just the compliance piece, but also operations and cybersecurity as well. And so it really extends the breadth of what we can do there. And then two other acquisitions that we did were NRS, which was very deep into, is very deep into consulting as well as continuing education for compliance officers. And so, you know, kind of making sure that people are on top of their game. And the last piece is the Loomis, which is, you know, kind of has a deep focus on political contribution and political contribution verification and has one of the preeminent products within that particular space. And so why do all of this might be one of your questions and not to answer all the questions that you might have, but I think part of this is this concept that if we can deliver expertise and we can deliver best to read software and bundle that with data and insights on top of that, we can be an incredible compliance powerhouse for our CCOs and partners to them. Because what we know every single day is that their life is getting more complicated, not less complicated. They probably don't have sure. as many resources as they would like or hope to have. And the fact of the matter is, is that if we can bundle those things together and try to provide them with that insight at the end of the day, hopefully what we can do is to put ourselves in the shoes of our client, think about how we can help and really deliver value as partners to those compliance officers. It's a really awesome mission. And I love, you know, just seeing even how passionate uh, you are about it and the growth <laughs> I'm excited to see ComplySci grow. And yeah, the news of you guys acquiring Aria in a box, I was like, whoa, because I used to um, heavily cover wealth management. I mean, I still kind of do. But yeah, that, that was a wild announcement and just kudos and, and congrats. It's, it's really a, an, an awesome thing to just keep building and, and growing. And I am a believer that compliance and regulation should really be at that top priority for everyone in the company starting in the C-suite, you know, this isn't just a, you know, compliance officer problem. Of course, you know, that's who it's for, but like everyone should be involved in this, right? Everyone should be in on the action. Will you share maybe how ComplySize 
solution really provides that 360 view of an end user, you know, to kind of help companies navigate, right, all of these complexities. Yeah, because it's, it's can be hard to kind of understand the best ways to measure really like the effectiveness of integrating technologies to be able to actually like provide insights, right, of like, sure, well, and I'll talk about that in a couple of different ways. So on the one hand, I think, when you think about compliance, and you think about kind of, if you don't have a platform, what happens? Certainly, when you think about monitoring trades, and, and trading of your employees, that means that you're monitoring pieces of paper, or emails that have pieces of paper in a PDF form attached to them. And there are just piles and piles of those. And you're really thinking about, okay, how do I take all of this data, which are on these pieces of paper, and ensuring that my employees are not doing something which is mostly probably not intentionally, but they might be doing something that is not in the best interest of the organization and in conflict with what the organization is doing and what the policies are doing. And so there is this whole aspect of thinking about policies and procedures and whether or not your employees are actually following those policies and procedures. And so software products like the Complexi platform allow you to then automate that entire process. Everything from being able to have your employees attest to the certifications of, of the policies and the conformance to the policies themselves and to do that in a super efficient manner. I mean, just imagine you're at home, I'm at home today. Compliance officers are also at home. And so if they have 10, 20, 100, a thousand employees to go run after all of them to try to get all of these disparate pieces, you need to have a, a system in place to be able to do that effectively. And so that's one whole part of it, even just the onboarding process of a new employee and making sure that they're getting through all of the processes and policies on the onboarding process is something that while you could do on your own, on the side, it's a highly manual process. And so anything that we can do to create zero friction in that onboarding process is what we're thinking about. Then the other piece of that is then with all of these other pieces of data, how is it that you can effectively take those hundreds of thousands of pieces of data for stock trades or for otherwise, and to ensure that that's also aligning with your policies? Because not only do you need to then ensure that your employees perhaps are requesting that they do trades, but you also have to make sure after the fact that it aligns once they have actually done those trades and things like that as well. And so all of these pieces are things that presumably you could do in an Excel spreadsheet. But at some point in time, the burden of an Excel spreadsheet becomes so massive, it is impossible to keep up and really not in line with what really the regulatory bodies are looking for in terms of having a best of breed compliance program in place and really having technology to be able to help you to fill that gap and to get there faster is a huge part of what we can deliver. Yeah, I mean, and I imagine when, you know, a regulator does come knocking, right, to have um, even just for a regular checkup or exam or all the things that financial services firms go through, you know, to be able to say, look, this is my, you know, tech provider. That that does give a bit of a better leverage, I imagine. And to be able to get reports out and in a jiffy and to download them <laughs> and to do all these other, you know, I think at the end of the day, we, we laugh about it because I think that, you know, it's kind of, like, yeah, that makes sense. We should 
run reports out of a system and do all these other things. But in order to create all of that data, ultimately, it needs to go someplace and it needs to be stored and, and all of the different actions within that that might have been done in terms of a particular trade and ensuring that the appropriate checks and balances have been placed. You know, those are all the things when we talk about in our parlance, I'm going to get a little technical here, the audit trail, the audit trail of a particular action, you need to be able to deliver that to the person that's doing an audit on you, you know, at the time. (laughs) And the idea that then you're able to deliver that in an efficient manner, timely manner, that all goes to showing kind of the culture of compliance that you're taking it seriously is the reason why you're able to deliver stuff super quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I think then when we think about the larger organizations, we're able to then also through NRS help people through mock audits as an example. So oftentimes our clients will not want to wait until a regulator knocks on the door. They want to make sure in advance that they're prepared and that they're thinking through what are the things that people could be asking for. And so our consulting team is hard at work helping clients every single day on things that might be project-based, but also ongoing work that they might be thinking about and being partners to our clients every single day, every single month of the year to be side-by-side with those clients. And then on the other side, when we think about um, R in a Box on the wealth management side, it's an end-to-end solution. And when we think about cybersecurity, there's a virtual desktop solution that they just acquired earlier this year through Itegria, which you know, they're delivering to clients. There is email archiving and social media monitoring, which is also being brought to bear. There's a lot. And if you just think about all of these different point solutions that are compliance officers are trying to do, they're kind of like, you can imagine somebody trying to put their fingers in all of the holes and just trying to <laughs> like keep, keep from going <laughs> under because every single day there's like just another little thing that they have to monitor. And at some point it becomes really overwhelming. And so we're trying to help entangle the messiness and to give them this breath of air so that they can have a dashboard that they're looking at across all of these pieces. We are going to take a short break to share a message from our friends over at Yield Street. Evolving markets require an alternative approach to investing. Cut through the volatility with Yield Street investments that target fixed durations and income generation. Explore investments in art, real estate, venture capital, and more. With minimum starting at $500 and targeting annual yields of up to 18%. Discover the difference of a diverse portfolio with Yield Street. Now, back to the show. We have these type of capabilities for so many other aspects of a financial service or even just in our lives between, you know, just shopping online or whatever, like why can't a compliance officer have this as well um, when it comes to monitoring their day to day, right? Like we all have these tools. So to be able to give that full kind of gamut, if you will, right, of all of the things from cybersecurity to paperwork, or I guess digital paperwork, or, you know, ensuring that the, the boxes are all checked before well before, you know, an exam happens with a regulator. A hundred percent. And I think here, when you think about the arc of where we were versus where we're going, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think for a long time, people had different kinds of processes in place and things like that. And I, and I think over time, I kind of, 
I liken where we are in our business very much to if I was to look at another vertical and you think about marketing, if we look back to where HubSpot and Marketo <laughs> were back in the day, like they came onto the market and all of a sudden it changed the face of marketing. It was the rise of the digital marketer and using data and being able to prove ROI. And it was a different language for marketing than had been talked about before. You know, and I think here we have the same opportunity within compliance, which is, you know, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, many of our compliance officers who I know and I love dearly, many of them have to come out from a legal background because they have to know the body of regulatory <laughs> things that that they need to understand for the purpose of their company, um, their employees, for third party, all of these other things. So they have to be steeped in the legal aspect of compliance. Oftentimes, they might also come out from an administrative perspective as well, especially you know, as they're building in the ranks. And thinking about that, the thing that then is missing is that you don't often find compliance officers who were majors in statistics or big data or any of these other things. And so I I think what we're trying to do is to help bridge the gap so that we can make data easier for people. Oh, bless. I feel like you (laughs) should, should you be a content creator too? Should you like do what I do? Should you just like, Would you go around and like preach the good gospel that is like, I can build a compliance fintech that makes it just as interesting as like marketing? Should you like do that? I mean, frankly, (laughs) (laughs) to be honest with you, so we launched something at ComplySci, which is called the CCO Spotlight. And this is part of being a content creator, but really more because I just truly believe that putting our CCOs into the spotlight to be able to shine the amazing work that they're doing, but also the trajectory. You know, if you think about kind of the history, you know, a, a chief compliance officer position really hasn't been around for terribly long. And it's not like you could go to school in the past to become a chief compliance officer. They didn't even, you know, it, was, it was just, so you get the gist. Um, and so these people have had these very interesting backgrounds to get to become the CCO. And how do you become a super CCO who's really outperforming and who's driving value for your organization? And I think that part of it is that CCOs oftentimes or compliance administrators who are thinking about how do they become a CCO are really wondering, okay, how do I make my position more strategic? And thinking about how they can help the business grow and be strategic to the business. And it's one of those things where oftentimes allowing a venue for them to, one, learn about each other. So I have um, advisory boards where I bring people together in a closed group and they're able to share their perspectives on typically it's not about comply side, to be honest with you. It's about other things that are other topics that are, are issues that are um, important amongst the team. But then it's also just telling their stories, just like you're asking me, because I think it's often a mystery. How do you become a CCO? The, the, the path is not something that a lot of people have had. And so I, I think you have a lot of people who are thinking like, oh, it's super interesting. There is this GC path, the general, general counsel path, which I think has been forward for a really long time. And people understand how to do that. But how is it that you become... A CCO and how do you become an effective CCO who's strategic in an organization? And um, that's something that I think shouldn't be a mystery. And we should celebrate those people who've been really successful. 
Yeah, and they shouldn't operate in a silo, right? Like it isn't just like, oh, well, compliance goes and does that thing and that's cool and I don't really know as the CEO what's going on. Glad he just, he or she just does the thing and that's great. But I love the part of you saying compliance officers being a part of the strategic growth because I do think it can be maybe like misconstrued as like, like I said, right? Like, oh, just the compliance officer does the one thing. Make sure we don't F up for the lack of a better word (laughs) and like, And that's it. Like, and then it's like the end and, um, you know, but to actually have them a part of the future, right. A part of the growth of, um, and finding ways and leveraging data and leveraging the technology we have to have them involved and engaged in a different way. I mean, you're just going to demystify a lot about compliance and the space and even just like getting more headlines and more content around compliance is is really, really cool. And if anyone's going to make compliance as sexy as marketing, it's going to be Amy. Um, and I'm, I'll be here to, uh, to see it happen and to see it play out. Cause that is going to be so cool. Um, I mean, speaking of making like compliance, I guess like cool or cool and, and interesting and, and digitizing it, you know, employees do need to understand the reasons why compliance measures are taken and the company needs to make it easy for the employee to comply and understand. I know you have a mobile implementation to address this. How exactly does that work and how does that kind of maybe keep employees engaged with the compliance? Sure. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, you're right. To a certain extent, from an employee perspective, oftentimes compliance is like, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the still. I'm going to steal from the... That's exactly right. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's this thing where it's like, oh, I have to do the thing and, oh, they want me to do this other thing. And a lot of it is sadly un- unappreciated from an employee yeah. perspective because sometimes they say that compliance officers, you know, they have a lot of sticks, but not necessarily a lot of carrots. So I think that when we put ourselves in the perspective of the user, so like I said before, when we talk about how can I help and putting ourselves in the shoe of the other person, it's not just the compliance officer's shoe that we have to put ourselves in. It's also the employee shoe. How is it that when I'm out and I'm about uh, like, oh crap, I'm about to go have a dinner and I didn't disclose that. How do I do this? How can I do this easier? How can I think about that less? How can I make this frictionless? That's the basic concept behind all of this, which is that if you can make something frictionless, if you can think about how to make something easier, then employees will have less resistance ultimately to doing those things. And we've seen Time and time again, as clients have come over to our system and have, I, I've never actually, this is true story. I've, I've never actually mm-hmm. been at an organization where I had a colleague, we're at a conference, an end user, not, not a compliance person, but an end user came in and gave him a hug saying that they were <laughs> so happy to be on ComplySci versus their, their prior system. Oh. And I mean, you know, I worked at a lot of companies and that's never happened. But I think that this idea of when you think about the software and you think about what is the user experience, it's so important, not just to think about kind of the specific person who might be the buyer persona, right? The compliance officer, but also you need to think about who else is going to use your product. All of those end users, they just need it to be super simple. And the KISS method is, is definitely here. Keep it simple, stupid, or keep it yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I always 
analogies are terrible, <laughs> by the way. And I keep trying to use sports <laughs> analogies and I'm really not a sports person. And so they often go awry somewhere in the middle, but I keep trying, I, you know, all I can do. got to find some like Japanese dance analogies instead. The problem is that people don't get it. People don't get that <laughs> no one so much. Didn't know that. Yeah, people don't, <laughs> don't get it. Mm. But I mean- we can try. We'll, we'll try to for sure. <laughs> right, exactly. Amazing. I also want to talk a little bit about ComplySci and it's, you know, big M&A activity. Now three acquisitions this year. We have talked about it. I know like, she's so excited about it. I love it. And <laughs> yeah, I, I know that there's a big picture strategy here and I've heard you talk about it a little bit, but, you know, for our listeners, just, you know, getting to know you, I know what you're building out. You're building out, you know, like the best and compliance tech provider out there, right? You're building a holistic system that does all of the things for you or for the compliance officer. But, you know, when it comes to kind of making these decisions and, you know, building and buying and who to buy and all that good stuff, you know, how is that? What are those like internal healthy debates like? I know there's so many debates. How, how much time do we have in this podcast? You know, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's it's always the question, right? So if I start with what have we seen this year since I've been in the CEO seat, mm-hmm. we have been just so lucky. I, I, I can't be thankful enough for the kind of confidence people have shown in our organization, starting with, you know, we had an incredible slate of investors previously with Vista Equity Partners, you know, who I think everybody in private equity knows, <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah. Edison Partners, and and um, who had been early investors in ComplySci. And in June of this year, K1 Investment Management was able to invest in us and became our lead investor. And you, know, you can read the press release and whatever else it is, but you know it was a sizable investment and just this idea of an investment in ComplySci as a platform to be able to then grow in this reg tech space. And the idea that the belief was that not only the trajectory that we were on, and we've been very lucky this year in terms of continued outpaced growth. And so I can't complain. <laughs> Yeah, right. And by sizable, I'm pretty sure you mean 120 million uh, or something like that. But I do appreciate your modesty. Like uh, <laughs> She's like, yeah. I was like a little 120 million. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and then, you know, the continued investment in our organization and the belief as we grow, because I think that, you know, there are some investors who could have said, okay, let's continue to have you grow organically and everything that you do has to be built. I think that what I found with K1 and the continued to support from, from Vista and Edison was that we had this bigger idea. We had this bigger idea that if we wanted to build out this end-to-end solution and think about all of the different pieces that um, a compliance officer faces, whether it's corporate compliance, whether it's employee compliance, whether it's third-party compliance, we needed to think bigger and more broadly. Mm-hmm. And Luckily, we found some great partners who also believed believed in in the dream and have then put their man, money where their mouth is, and you know have allowed us to go out and acquire three companies in kind of two months. Yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy, and that's <laughs> it's a. <laughs> they really want me. She's to having the epiphany, folks. Like, they let me do this. Oh my god! Someone's gonna find me out. 
<laughs> is this allowed? Can this happen? Um, I mean, yes, it can when, you know, you're good at what you do and you, yeah, and you know what you're doing. And so I'm excited to see how all of this pans out and like see you guys grow and see all the acquisitions come together. It's super exciting. I mean, at the same time, let's be clear. I know we have to deliver right at the end of the day. We need to deliver on the promise and all of those other things for our clients. And we're not doing this just for fun, but I think it is this, how do we deliver on the promise that we thought of, which is how is that we think about really delivering innovation and outpace growth and more benefit to our clients in the market? Otherwise, why do it? Exactly. Uh, and I, I am such a fan of what you're building and what you're doing here. I mean, looking ahead or looking back or both, is there like an initiative, um, a proud moment, an area of focus that like you're most excited about or most proud of, you know, in the last year or even just like looking ahead? I mean, there are so many times when kind of like to your <laughs> point, I was just like, oh, my God, I've got to kind of pinch myself a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've just been, you know, and, and I think there's a mantra that you have to work hard to be lucky fundamentally. Yeah. Right. So when we go yeah. all the way back to your first question. Part of what we've learned is that you have to be, you have to work hard to be lucky and put yourself in a position to have those great things happen. But if I was to think about cycle through all the different things that happened, it's not about the acquisitions. It's not about the investment or whatever else it is. It was actually this turning point with a client. And it's kind of the, the reason why you do this every single day, which is when we think about this client, this client, I, I think proceeded when I had come on board and was, I guess I would say a disgruntled client. And Mm -hmm. I was put onto this project and kind of like, okay, Amy, you have to go figure out how to fix this problem. (laughs) It was like, oh my God. Okay. How do we do this? Like, let's dig in. And I think what happened over time and, you know, over the course of the last two, three years was working side by side as partners with this client and to think about, okay, what are all the things that we need to do in order to make this right and to make this work for both sides? And, you know, I think when we had done a prior renewal, it was pretty contentious, to be honest with you. And I wasn't sure if they would continue with us. But nonetheless, we continued to kind Mm -hmm. of put in the work and to think about what are those right. things that make sense, not just for them, but for our clients at large, because part of it is to then learn and think about kind of what is that we can take back from this kind of exchange in order to then make us better overall. And I'm happy to report that just a couple of weeks ago, they signed a five-year renewal. Wow. And wow. In, See? in this kind of environment, right, where... Tech is like changing every single day for someone to be like, I'm going to sign a five-year deal with you. Yeah, it's huge. Kind of like, shit, we just did something right, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, what an aha moment, right? Yeah. And, you know, and I think that it's not perfect. I think that still just this hungry for more concept of like, that's not enough. That's not going to be enough for us. We still need to shine and to deliver more and to think about how else we can help that client and all of our other clients. But are there are those moments when I think about 
why is it that we do this every single day? Why do we pour our hearts into these organizations? It is that. It is those moments where you're like, wow, if you just put one foot in front of the uh, the other and we continue to build on that, we're able to then come out to some pretty amazing outcomes at the end of the day. What an amazing story and just an example of turning the tables. I think far too often we see a disgruntled uh, user doesn't always end up right, but to be able to literally like turn them around and sign a five-year deal is like wild. And you clearly have, you know, some awesome, just like kind of sasson, if you will, to be able to do that. Right. But I also think that it, it speaks to, and you also mentioning that, you know, the tech landscape is changing so fast for them to sign a five-year deal is like, wow. But I think what's more important is that, and what we sometimes forget in the tech world is that people want to work and consume and get their tech or sign a five-year deal with someone that they trust with a company that's led by someone that they trust or you know and has employees with someone that they trust and that they relate to and can understand them like think about it because you put the effort into turning the tables with them and changing their mind you know how telling is that like to to be like yeah we care and we're gonna do what it takes to like show you that we care I'm here now (laughs) yeah I got my team now like Let's do this, whatever it takes, yeah. like things are different now. And so that just takes like a, such an amazing level of leadership on your part and just the team that you have to do that. And, you know, it's like whoever thought that like compliance could feel so nice and warm and emotional <laughs> almost a little bit, right? Like, it can't, like it can. And so that's so cool that to do that. And so kudos to you. And yeah, big, big fan, uh, even more so after talking to you for this time. The last thing I want to get into is uh, inclusion and representation that is super important to me and my content here at One the Fintech. Obviously, it's no shock that women are still so underrepresented in the fintech landscape, especially in C-suite roles and CEO roles like yourself. Um, So I'd love to just hear from you as an industry leader, someone in that seat, how you're kind of ensuring that progress is going forward in terms of that equity in your own day to day. It's one of those things that, you know, I think everybody struggles with, even if you're a a woman who's a CEO, it it doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden, like, voila, it all happened. (laughs) It's just, it's just not like that. And so I think here, then when we think about how do you do that on an active basis, it is this question of thinking about your executive team. It's thinking about the teams below that. Who do you hire? And so I've been, I've had the incredible joy to hire an incredible diverse, incredibly diverse team, both in terms of ethnic backgrounds, but then also in terms of women specifically, I have a CFO, a CMO, a head of people and services, all of whom are women. It's about a 50-50 slit. You know, if we think about my board, I've got two of the four outside board members are women. I've got, you know, there's just a huge amount of representation everywhere. And that's just been important to me. And I've been pretty outspoken about that <laughs> with with, yeah. with not just my own team, but also with my board members, my investors, you know, it was one of those things where it's just been incredibly important overall. And I think that then investing in how is it that we ensure that you're out there in terms of being able to recruit new people. And what I really do find, to be honest with you, is that having people on the C-suite or as the CEO, we've just had people come to us and raise their hand. 
And I think it's the power of representation. Um, and so when other organizations come to me and they ask, like, how do I do that? And I was like, well, I mean, I, I think that you need to take a step and magic will start to happen because I think, you know, we had, I've had people who have been in our process and they've had incredibly competitive offers from multiple employers and things like that. And they've told me like, you know, I had an opportunity to go to these other places, but I chose ComplySci because of these things, because of the fact that I see diversity on the management team. I see diversity in the boardroom and I've never had that. I just had a board meeting earlier this month and one of my C-suite members was like, you know, I've got to tell you, I didn't realize this before, but I have never been at a board meeting where I wasn't the only woman. And I was like, that's another like moment, you know, it's like, you know, (laughs) I'm so sad. I'm so sad for them. But I know that that was also me for a long time as well in terms of other roles that I have been in. And, you know, part of it is that trying to to make your own way and, and making your impact as you can. And I don't know. So it's it's one of those things that's continued. I, I know that I've been the benefactor of so many people who have taken a chance on me to give me stretch positions or to do all of these other things. And it's not necessarily a woman. It could also be a man. Many of my mentors have been yeah, men absolutely. who have like plucked me out of nowhere to be able to give me these other opportunities. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and I think putting yourself in a position to be able to be seen is part of that overall. But as a senior person, you know, your choices matter. And realizing that is important. Absolutely. Tone at the top. And I applaud you and all of the great work that you are doing and having, you know, owning your seat and owning it so well it paves pathways and and has foot, it allows for some footsteps for you know even to someone like myself to follow in right or any young girl or any woman any honestly listening to this you know like we said before right you got to see it to be it sometimes and when you see someone in that role that looks like you that feels like you you think all right like i can do that too like for sure. hell yeah i can do anything and so that's so sick. And I'm so glad that uh, that woman got to have that opportunity to sit in a boardroom where she wasn't the only one. I I know I get tired of being the only one, too. It's exhausting. Um, <laughs> so it's awesome. It's so awesome. I, I love that and appreciate everything that you're doing. Maybe my one of my last questions for you would be, I do like to ask about imposter syndrome. Um, I know a lot of my listeners, that's something that maybe they feel when they are in their own C-suite roles, you know, and whether you're a man or a woman, you can feel these things. So how do you kind of keep your own mental health in check? What I have learned over the years in, in a couple of different scenarios is that it's not just women who have imposter syndrome. Men have the same kinds of fears. They just may not manifest them in the same way. And older people, younger people, everybody has their own set of anxiety and stress. And so when you realize that, you know, I went to business school and one of the women who was at business school, because I I was like, oh, you know, like all of you, you have so much experience. I'd done two years out of undergrad and then I went to business school. And so I had peers who had five years of experience, six years of experience, and they were at business school. And so I was feeling like, oh my God, what do I have to bring to the table? And 
I had this truly aha moment with her where she was just like, hey, turning the tables, by the way, you're like the young gun blazing a trail. I'm like, oh, crap. You know, this person's going to take over my job, you know, and and I was like, oh, my God, I never thought about it from that way. And so I think everybody's got their own thing that they're trying to overcome in their different perspectives. And so recognizing that you might have anxiety or stress about certain things. But then I think that the other part of it is then finding how you can bring your best self. And so it's this funny thing. So I've done like a lot of work with different kinds of coaches and, and done assessments over time and all these other things. But one of the things that I have come to realize is that you need to figure out how to ground yourself and thinking about mental health in different ways. What I found for myself is that there is this concept of if I can spend an hour a day getting to work out or to do something. And one of my favorite workouts is soul cycle. So this idea of being in a dark room, maybe with a bunch of other people, but you know, I love music. I love to dance. Sometimes I like to impromptu karaoke alongside. (laughs) (laughs) We might be the same person. (laughs) But you know, so, but it is literally the one hour a day that I'm yep. not thinking about anything else except for praying that I finish the class and that I live <laughs> after the class. And literally that time draining your brain of all of the other noise really has allowed me to then, I, you often find that then it's like the idea that like the spark that comes out after that, or you're able to yep. come and be your best self to a meeting or to a podcast or whatever have you. And so like this morning, I had no time. I was like, I've been going since I don't know when, but I was like, you know, I need to spend a little bit of time. So I did a 30 minute class this morning and it was just enough. It was one with one of my favorite instructors to be able to then say, okay, like I'm grounded. Yeah. And I can get through exactly. the whole day. And I think finding what that is for every person is so important because if you can't give to yourself, if you can't think about your mental health, if you can't do all of that, you you can't give to your family, you can't give to your business, at some point it becomes a downward spiral. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I encourage that for the entire team. And it's different for everybody how that happens. For some people, it's like knitting. And then I get the benefit. Yeah, whatever that spark of happiness is. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know and, and, and um, that thing where you get lost in, in something, exactly. you know, to get lost into something else that like just isn't work. Yeah, it means a lot to your mental health and happiness. Um, so what is yours? I, I, I know, I know um, you're supposed I, to be doing I, the questions, but. <laughs> I told, I, like, while you were saying that, I was like, are we the same person? Um, so I am a. I am a big cycler as well. I used to go to soul cycle classes um, before the pandemic. Now I'm a Peloton gal, but I used to be really into like getting literally lost in like 45 minutes of just like me and the Stairmaster. Yes. Like me and Stairmaster, like let me just, and I would put my music on. I love music too. And I would just like lose myself in that almost like challenge, right? right. And be like, I can do this. And when you get through something like that, you're just like, the rest of this day is nothing. Like, what's this? Nothing. Um, but also yoga. Power yoga has been huge for me uh, when the world shut down so I could do something like in a tiny bedroom. Right. So, yeah. So now I've been really into the power yoga and it does I, even just having like 30 seconds of, you know, laying down after the, the end of the session. Yeah. And being one with yourself and 
letting the noise go is so important. So I love that you encourage that. So so much fun. I also like to dance too. I was also a dancer. I told you we're the same person. Um, but anyways, <laughs> like it's a little it's a little whoa. We got a lot of comment anyway. But I, which it's good for me. Uh, and then I think at some point, we're teachers, right. yeah, I think we're going to do another podcast where we we're cooking. Although I don't know really how to cook. Oh yes, but. Yes, we're going to do a cooking and compliance podcast. Stay tuned. That's coming next um, <laughs> next time. I'm <laughs> uh, so excited for that one. That one's going to be fun. I, I want to add an activity to this podcast eventually. Like, yeah, like make it more interactive. But <laughs> remind me of that one. We're going to cook Filipino food. I'm going to learn some Japanese cuisine. It's going to be fun. It's going to be killer. Exactly. Um, but anyways, I will... We are wrapping up this episode. I will ask you your final thoughts, Amy. Please tell us what the F we can expect from you and ComplySci next. Well, I think that you can tell from all of the actions in the last year that I might be just a little bit bold. I can't tell you exactly what's coming in our future, but in, in terms of the idea here is really to bring these organizations together and to continue to think about huge innovations that we can bring to market to make our compliance officers' lives better, to make them breathe easier, sleep better at night, and to truly be their partners in in this journey. And hopefully I'll be back the next time with the next Bold News. Yeah. Oh, you will be. You definitely will be. <laughs> I've never had I've never had more fun talking about compliance. I can't believe it. I mean, and you all will have so much fun listening when you get to this part of the end of the episode. <laughs> I'm so excited about this one. This is so cool. Um, but that is a wrap on this episode of What the Fintech. Thank you again so much, Amy, for joining us and for your authenticity and your honesty. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yes. And thank you as well to our listeners for tuning in. If you loved this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button and you can find me on all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, talk to you soon.